Well, good morning to those of you who I haven't said good morning to yet. Uh, good to be together. What a wonderful time of singing. Um, in just a little while, I'm going to hand over to uh, Colin, and he's going to be sharing to us uh, from James. I uh, want to remind you about this banner here, James 1, verse 4. We said this is the key text, the anchoring text of this whole book of James. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I mean, that's been James's desire. It's been God's work through this whole book of James. These are, these are the sub-series we've looked at uh, throughout this book. At the moment, we're on real faith endures, but maturing faith grows through trials, leads to godly action, that there's wisdom for community life, that real faith endures. And, uh, and we know another key phrase of James is don't just listen to the Word of God. Don't just hear it, but actually do it. Put it into place, surrender. And so part of what we wanted to do in this last sub-series of James is to just hear some stories uh, from people in our community uh, who have experienced God doing something radical in their life through the book of James. Because you know the point is, every, isn't every week to come and just hear a sermon, right? But actually to let the Word of God dwell in you richly, to let the Word of God transform and impact your actual life. So, so James, come and share with us, I mean James, John, John, come and share with us your story, buddy. Just got promoted. Um, thanks, Don. So I'm a little nervous here for several reasons. One is I've never put my computer on a music stand, and I once was in a meeting where the worship leader did this, and halfway through worship, it collapsed. But Don has assured me this is not going to happen. Okay, so, uh, yeah, um, the guys asked me just to share a little bit of my journey. Um, there's two elements to it, what God's been speaking to me through James this year, and then just, uh, yeah, just a couple of stories about how that has worked out. So James 1.5 uh, was preached on right in the beginning of the year. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. Now, that is one of the classic, all-time, most popular promises of God in the Scriptures, probably one of the top three. And this verse has shaped my Bible study and prayer life for many, many months since, you know, January, February, whenever we, it was preached on. And God has drawn me into a desire for wisdom so that I can become the sort of person who makes wise choices. Incidentally, I've written this out word for word because otherwise I'm going to go on too long. Um, so when God says, ask, the question I pose to myself is, who am I asking? So it's a God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Now, I don't know about you, but I know my faults. Many of you know my faults. But God is someone who doesn't. He doesn't find fault with me. He's gracious. So that's the God I'm turning to when I'm asking for wisdom. And then I grappled with this whole thing of what is wisdom. And if any of you Bible scholars out there have tried to do this, you will find it's a, it's a fascinating subject. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Many of us who know our Bibles will know that phrase. But did you also know that the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom? So it's not just the beginning, it's the journey, and it is wisdom itself. So the fear of the Lord is wisdom itself. When I read the fear of the Lord, for me, Tim Keller helped me enormously with this, is to understand it as something that I fear losing. 
the fear of losing him. So we think of the fear of the Lord as the awe of God, um, you know, being, being awed in his presence. But this is a really helpful way of thinking about it because whatever I most fear losing in that moment, that's my God. So if it's your approval or my success at business or my good relationship with my wife or uh, money or my kids, whatever it might be, in that moment, that is my God. That is what I most fear losing. That's what my heart is set on. And so the power of fearing the Lord is that it puts everything else in its right place. And if I just fear losing him, and that's where I keep bringing my heart back to, I'm on track. In those moments, sorry, I've said that. Um, and, and in those moments when I do come back to the Lord, and that fear of losing him is the predominant thing about my heart's position at that moment, then what happens is I experience that peace that passes all understanding, regardless of circumstance. And I can calmly make wise decisions. That doesn't happen often. <laughs> but And the scriptures also talk about wisdom as Christ being the wisdom of God. The gospel, the message of the cross, is the wisdom of God. God's word itself, the Lord gives wisdom. His, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, the topic of what is wisdom from a biblical point of view is very nuanced. But biblical wisdom, in summary, is more about God and what he does than about me. So, how do I get it? I want wisdom. <laughs> well, firstly, obviously, ask God. Trust in the Lord and not in my limited understanding. What is so helpful is to realize how little I know. Submit to the Lord into in whatever he leads me into and whatever answer he gives. And often it's no answer because that's the right answer. That's the most helpful answer for my life at that moment. He is my perfect father. Go back to that point of trusting. I need to, I've learned to see troubles and suffering a little differently. I don't really change, to be honest. I don't really change until I see my heart's real condition. And I don't see my heart clearly until God shows me it. And suffering is his main method. So how do I get wisdom? Well, aim for intimacy with Jesus, and I get wisdom as a byproduct. Practically, Tim Keller's phrase on this topic has been fantastic. Incidentally, Alan mentioned last week about, you know, God confirming and confirming well, this has been my experience this year where from this beginning of this journey, the next book that I started studying for about six months was the book of Proverbs. And then um, just as I was wading through hundreds and hundreds of Tim, Curl Tim Keller's sermons, which I just worked through in order on the podcast, I've gone through months of Proverbs teaching as well. So this phrase has become very, very powerful for me. What is wisdom? Practically speaking, it is this competence to navigate the realities and the com complexities of life. Let me say that again. Wisdom is competence to navigate the realities and the complexities of life. That has been life-changing for me because I have to become competent. I can't just sit on the sideline and wait for it to happen. I have to act. I have to do stuff. I have to learn, I have to experiment, and I have to deal with reality. 
If I can't see reality, if I can't see what's really going on, how on earth can I become competent? Um, and of course, life is incredibly complex. So what are the results? Well, one would hope, um, and maybe you need to ask my wife, that I'm a little less anxious over the last nine, 10 months and a little more calm. I'm a little less distracted. I'm a little bit more poised. I'm a little less shooting from the hip and a little bit more thoughtful in my preparation. I'm a little less irritable and tend to get angry, less of that and more compassionate and patient. How do we get, how do I, how have I found that this is, you know, to get this wisdom into my life? Well, it actually boils down to simple, basic habits. It's so basic. Habits, disciplines, practices, defaults, all those boring routines that you and I do every day, those daily repetitive habits, that's what shapes us. That's what is either making us wise or not. And for me, I've learned to make choices today that will enable me to wake up tomorrow morning ready for whatever God has for me tomorrow. That's how I choose the habits and daily disciplines that I have in my days. I'm the sum of my habits. I can only contribute to other people's lives from the wellspring of what God has shown me because I've been for, for years and months in these habits. And so daily, what do I do? I re-preach the gospel to my own heart because I drift, I forget, I get distracted. And to get my heart right, I've got to remind myself firstly of God's love. God says this in Psalm 107, whoever is wise, let him consider the great love of God. That's where I start. If I'm ever going to become wiser, I've got to start with who is it that is my God? What's he like? He's the lover of my soul. He will never forsake me. Secondly, I remind myself of God's original design. In the beginning, God's creation was good. It was perfect. Thirdly, I remind myself of my own sinfulness and brokenness. See, I'm preaching the gospel to myself. My own sin, my own heart, and the brokenness of all our hearts. And these two truths, God's perfect creation and the the fall and the brokenness of the world that we live in means that I can read Proverbs more, more wisely. It's easier to understand because these are not rules and they're not promises. They are God's best practices. But the reality of our broken world means that they don't always work. Now it makes sense. So when I'm told by the scripture that if you raise your kid in the, in the way in, in God's way, they'll come back to it. Doesn't always happen. Some of us have got wayward kids right now. And then the fourth thing that I remind myself is of where we are going. What's, how does the story end? The new heavens and the new earth. So lastly, let me just tell two quick stories of how God's wisdom has been practically worked out. So 10 years ago, I was nearly dead, having accumulated 40-plus chronic diseases and symptoms. Conventional health couldn't help me, and so I looked to alternative health professionals. I began to experiment with food and lifestyle changes, and now I have the best health and quality of life that I've ever had. So in God, guiding me to the right people at the right time, trusting him, I found 
the wisdom for reversing chronic disease. And I was able to shift my mindset from depending on others to be taking responsibility. So that point from right at the beginning, I need to take action. I need to take responsibility for my own journey in God and in life. And then you can think of it if in business terms, I had outsourced my health and now I'm insourcing my health. And the other story is around financial uh, wisdom. So in the, my recovery, we spent all our savings on getting me right, which means my family ended up with a husband and a father, but not really much in the way of inheritance. I hope they feel the deal was a good one. Um, but uh, using the counsel of many advisors, I, um, we, we, now, 10 years later, we are building a rental business. So I've gone from being almost losing our house 10 years ago because of our financial crisis to being in a position where using the wisdom of those many advisors around us who are further down the track than me and I can learn from, we're in a position where we're able to do something for our future financially. And similarly, it's the same, same sort of story where similarly I had to shift my dependence from the financial services industry. Um, if you think of, you know, if you drive past Old Mutual's building, if you're an Old Mutual customer, you paid for that. So when I started thinking like that, I'm thinking, hang on a minute, <laughs> whose who's, you know, real interest is uh, in this arrangement here? And, and so I've been on a long journey to get to understand money better and, and become competent in the, in the financial world. Um, and lastly, to summarize, um, the wisest course of action, as James makes clear over and over again, is to align myself with the way God has made me. He's made me for himself. That's the primary thing that needs to guide me. If I want to grow in wisdom, I do what all the saints have done throughout all the ages. I focus on him. I walk with him. I listen to him. I enjoy him. Oh, my word, worship this morning was magnificent. That line from the last song, I, I'm surrendered now. I'm surrendered now. If I want to grow in wisdom, that is the starting place. And most days, of course, my habits do serve me, but there are many days where my habits don't serve me because life's too crazy and there's too many challenges and I'm overwhelmed. But it doesn't matter because I know he's faithful when I'm not faithful. And his love never fails, and by his grace, I hope to grow in wisdom. laptop day today. Great, and it's, thank you, John, for that. Sorry. Yeah, I have to, brother. The eyes are going. So, so um, yeah, some little bit of Colin trivia, seeing that John was named James, something you may not know about me. Donnie, I'm, I'm going to surprise you this morning, bro. Here we go. So, I was in standard eight. That is grade 10. I was in a biology class, and the teacher spoke about kangaroos. And I was baptized afresh in that class. I got a new name. Anyone want to take a guess, stab at that? 
Joey. And the reason I got that name was, go away, bud, way. Come on, Heidi. Well done. And the reason I got that name was I was always bouncing about, running around, and my mate, Clement, who is late now, he turned and says, that's Colin. He's a Joey. And so sometimes I would walk in places, and I respond to another name, Joey. They'd call me Joey, and I'll just respond and say, hi, guys. And um, so you watching online, you've got a little bit of a info about me today. Uh, my other name is Joey. Not the kangaroo, hopefully not, because uh, then we'd start a song. You know, timey kangaroo down sport, we ain't going to go there. So this morning, we're so glad to be together, to engage in hearing what God has to say to us by His Word, and His Word is always truth. And I love what Johnny was sharing earlier, that we're not only here to be hearers, but doers of the Word. Another story as I start off. I was fortunate enough to be playing football until a good or ripe old age, and at a certain point, being part of the football team, I was asked to lead that team. And with the team's input, we derived a motto by which we would enter the pitch, how we connected with one another, and also how we would live on and off in our private lives as well. And the motto was simply, to wear God well. Now, this was in the year 2000, starting off 2003. And amazingly, what happened is one of the guys who did our tops printed the little logo on our collar to wear God well. If you're a Bayern München fan, you know they have Mia San Mia, okay? They go out to conquer everything. But we, as a team, and it was the common ground football team that I then led, represented, and it was an amazing opportunity for us to say, this is what we, before we step onto the pitch, we're going to wear God well in all circumstances. Did that come easy? No, it didn't come easy. Because I remember on a day, this fine gentleman, he's on the opposing team, coming at me, tackling me from behind, chopping my feet under me, fell to the ground. I got up, I walked to him, I took his hand, shook it, I pulled him closer, and I said, Peppy, they're watching us. Let's hug. <laughs> and some of you thought I would have responded we're giving him the fivefold ministry. No, it wasn't going to work that way. I had the different fivefold ministry there. It was the open palm. I was embracing my brother. I said, Peppy, come closer. Others are watching. That day I said that, I did not realize the weightedness of it as I prepared the talk for this morning, the message for today, how faith values integrity above all. There was weightedness in that. Pepe, my friend, for a number of years now, went through some serious illnesses during the COVID season. And we are still buds today because it was relationship above the game. That was the aim of wearing God well. I was aiming to maintain and sustain that relationship. Again, did it come easy? I had to make a choice. I could respond or react. By God's grace, I responded. Did it always go as easy as that? No. There were times I was fuming inside. I wanted when somebody kicked me, it's like, come on, I want to just sort you out. But thanks be to God that I can come and ask forgiveness 
He's forgiven me and rose me. Every time I do that, he takes me to a new level of living a life of integrity up till this very day. Our reputation matters. It matters. And the question is, does or should we be concerned about our reputation as Christ followers? And I want to lean to what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 21. He says, we are being as careful in our reputation with the public as in our reputation with God. God cares about his reputation. You frequently hear this phrase in Scripture, for my glory, for my name's sake. You will not see the righteous be put to shame for my name's sake. God is not only interested in his reputation. God cares about your and my reputation. He wants his family, his church, his bride to bring honor and glory to him in everything that we do. The Westminster Confession of Faith has this Quoting there, the chief end of man is to glorify God. Our reputation can either be a stepping stone or a stumbling block. Think about that on the day. If I'd gone to Pepe and I gave him on the shin, that would have been a stumbling block completely. But I used that moment by God's grace. God actually just led me in that moment to create a stepping stone whereby others were watching as well. Take note, others was observing without me even knowing in that moment. More than that, God was observing. In every action, there is an observed eye. And the observation is clearly in the light of who God is. So our reputation, as I said, can be a stepping stone or stumbling block. It can be a helpful or a hindrance. Proverbs 27 verse 21 says, a person is worth what his reputation is worth. This has no connection with our net worth. Our reputation is what others think of us. It's fine to work out who, what Donnie thinks of me, but it's coming to my community and ask my neighbors what they think of me. That's something else. Go to my Muslim neighbors and ask them what they think of me. Go to the guys across the road and say, how do they know me well? It's fine to get it all nice and right in the house of God, but outside is what matters. Our private and public life matters above all else. We need a good reputation as Christ followers and especially amongst non-Christ followers. Why? They would say that we are the only Bible they would read at times. So if His Word, His truth is within us, it's got to be reflective in our actions, in everything that we do. God wants us to have a faith that exhibits integrity in our daily walk and talk. Our character must match our conduct. And James is going to lean into this. He wants this to happen. He says, hang on, I've been watching you guys, but something is amiss. So as I said previously, this doesn't mean we are a perfect people, but we sang a song this morning. But as God's chosen people, who have been redeemed by his blood, by his sacrifice. We are called to be his royal priesthood, a holy people, conformed to the new nature that he's given to us. Amen? 
Amen? If you haven't received that new nature, Jesus is here today to give you that new nature. Today in the book of James, we shall be considering a faith that values integrity above all. So I want to give the context, then what's the big idea? And I have four character traits that will help you to be a person and help us to be people of integrity. And then our commitment. So the Bible dwells on two great themes. The first is the way to God, and the second is our walk with God. And the second theme is on display here in the book of James. James is a New Testament book of wisdom literature. It was written to encourage the believers that were scattered. Of, uh, they were of the 12 tribes, and they were scattered everywhere. And James is wanting to help them to become more like his master. Take note, he doesn't say, my half-brother. James is speaking about Christ as his master. James was a skeptic. He only come to submit to Jesus after the resurrection. So James is writing this with that sort of argument in his text. He says, hang on, you say you hold this true? Now where is the reality to that? So James is like a skilled sculptor using the tool of this letter to chip away everything that does not display the nature of Christ in these Jewish, uh, Jewish believers. But he's also, for us, it's relevant today that he wants to do just that through this text, to chip away everything that is not Christ-like. So James does not focus on some of the great theological uh, themes that Paul focuses on, of justification, of grace, and of faith, but his contribution is going to be the works that is a, as a result of faith, grace, and righteousness. It is the fruit thereof. So James is aiming at the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of that faith that we have in God, and the fruit of grace. James is challenging these Jewish believers by asking them, if you say you're abiding in the root, then where is your fruit? Where's the fruit that complements your abiding in the root. Jesus himself mentioned this in Luke 6. Every tree is known by its own fruit. So let us turn our eyes to the screen for our scripture reading, which is found in James 5 verse 12. James 5 verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, or you will be condemned. So what's the big idea? That in every yes and no, there is a battle for truthfulness, for integrity. In every yes and no, there's a battle for truthfulness, integrity. What is integrity? It is having the inner strength to be truthful and trustworthy, acting justly and honorably, and being consistent in words and actions. We can start building integrity through our speech when we speak the truth plainly, we share the truth completely, use the truth tactfully, and live the truth consistently. Let's get to our first point. Speak the truth plainly. Why do we speak the truth plainly? Above all else, says uh, James, my brothers and sisters, 
Do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes and no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. When James tells us not to swear, he's not talking about profanity. He's not talking about having a potty mouth, even though that is unbecoming to a Christ follower. What he's talking about is making an oath by referring to something else as if we don't have enough integrity within ourselves to keep our own word. Swearing to God is taking his name in vain, but you should never say also that I swear on a stack of Bibles or I swear on my mother's grave. We cheapen our own integrity, says James, when we must appeal to something besides our own integrity. I repeat that. We cheapen our own integrity when we must appeal to something besides our own character. As a follower of Jesus, your and my word should stand on its own. Yeah? It should stand on its own. When I say yeah, I mean yeah. When I say nay, it's nay. Just speak the truth plainly. Don't embellish it. Don't camouflage it. If you mean to say yes, just say yes in all areas of your life, at work, at home, in the house of God, in your life group, especially when dealing again, as I said earlier, with non-Christ followers because they're watching us. Just like that day when I said to Pepe, Pepe, they are watching us. Every response, every word we speak, every action, they're watching at and they're building up a reputation of who, uh, who we are. So James was not the first person to say that. Speaking the truth plainly is the foundation of all integrity. And he's not the first one to mention this. His half-brother Jesus also mentioned this, as well as Paul. And any time we come to a portion in Scripture where things are mentioned three times, we better pay attention. So Paul says, do you think I'm like the people of the world in 2 Corinthians 1, 17 to 19? Who says yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful... Our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. When so many people seem to be speaking lies or half-truths, then speaking plainly with integrity will make you and I countercultural. It will also make you and I more like Jesus. Because he never wavered between yes and no. Being more Christ-like should be our motivation for integrity. And then Jesus also mentioned this in the Sermon on the Mount. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. I pause there. We can actually do that now, can we? There's some products that we can use, eh? I tried that once. My hair went all pink, literally. I'm going off to meet Peter Howard Brown. He says, Colin, why does your hair look so pink? I took one of the combs. I'm not going to mention from whom in the house. And I tried to comb it through my grays, and it went all pink. Verse 37, all you need to say is a simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one, says our Lord in Matthew 5, 
verse 34 to 37. So what does Jesus teach us specifically in Matthew 5? He is saying if you think you can create levels of truthfulness, you and I are wrong. You can't create levels of truthfulness. He's saying that every yes and every no must be truthful as if you swore on a stack of Bibles on network television. Imagine there's a camera that's going to be following you. Imagine Derek volunteers tomorrow to say, right, okay, who's ready to raise their hand? Okay, anybody? No. Okay, so Derek is prepared to come and watch every move, record all your actions, and then he plays that on TV at the end of the week. How many of us would cringe at what we've just gone through in that week and how we displayed, how we walked this walk of being Christ followers? So every yes and every no are observed because God is omnipresent. Every yes and every no, every word spoken is an observed word. That's what I realized on the day when I said to Pepe, they're watching us. It was more than just that they were watching us. God was watching and God was listening as well. This is a radical principle of truthfulness that Jesus teaches us. Point two. Having this life of integrity means we also share the truth completely. Someone who holds back the truth causes trouble, says Proverbs 10, verse 10. Proverbs 28, verse 23 says, In the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. Note, in the end. They will appreciate that. Now, I didn't say be rude when you speak to them. We'll come to the how right now. Use truth tactfully is point three. Speak the truth in a spirit of love, says Ephesians 4.15. Speak only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Just listen to this text again, this verse. Speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Not to benefit me, not the speaker. It's to benefit them. Ephesians 4.29. Thoughtless words, says Proverbs 12, verse 18, can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth. That is in wisdom. John spoke about that today in Proverbs 16.23 and adds persuasiveness to his lips. And Ecclesiastes 8, verse 6 there is a right time and a right way to do everything. So then, how can we speak into each other's lives in a way that is both truthful and loving? And I have five things I want to share with you under this point. Before you and I speak, we need to consider these five things to make sure you're really loving when you speak. Restrain yourself. Consider the moment. Are you the right person to convey this message? Check the relationship status. Give thought to your words. Under the first part is restrain yourself. By restraining yourself, what I'm doing is I'm holding back in the moment because in the moment I am so charged up. That urgency to speak in your gut, I must say it now, I need to sometimes hold back. Stop long enough to evaluate my motives, the intention be behind what I'm about to say. Getting it off your chest is not the answer. I just need to get this off my chest. Have you heard that expression before? But where does it land? Where does it land? It lands in the person. 
It creates more turmoil at the end of the day. So I walk away, I'm relieved, and the other person is left reeling, crying. Oh, they should just, and then what's our response? Just get over it. Is that loving? Is that Christ-like? So James is pointing this out to the guys. He says, guys, hang on. You say you have the work of grace and faith and righteousness in your life, but the fruit thereof doesn't match. Imagine I go out into my garden. I've got a fig tree, and it's got lovely, the first figs on there already, and the vine is growing on the back, and it's nice. But imagine I go out to the fig tree, and I see guavas. I don't know who of you can help me on that one. But this is what James is saying. The fruit doesn't match the root. James 1 verse 26 tells us as much. If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Put that on social media. Point two, consider the moment. Ask yourself, is this the right moment to speak? If your timing is out, you could shame the person and embarrass yourself. How many of you have done that already? I have. Yes. And you're like, why did I say that? Why did I do that? I remember just somebody coming to the gate one day, and my response to the person was, go and do something. Don't come in. And I thought, why am I saying this, Colin? Why are you saying this? You don't know where this person come from. You don't know his circumstances. Take time. Just listen to him. And by doing that, I have more folk at the gate. Anyway. <laughs> Is that what Jesus would do? Is that what Jesus would do? Where do I get my standard from? From Christ himself. So not every word or action needs to be corrected. And not every moment is the right moment for trying to correct someone. If love is the goal of speaking, I must use discretion. Grace has the strength to let a lot of things pass. Oh, if we were held reckoned for all that we have done, oh, but by the grace of God, he has forgiven us. He has not recompensed. That's an old English term. He, doesn't, he hasn't hold us guilty to that. He took all that shame upon him. He didn't shame us. He took our shame. What we deserve, he took it upon himself. So sometimes let's just soak it up. Point three, make sure you're the right person to convey the message. Ask yourself, am I the right person to speak this? Your gut is telling you yes, but that may not be true. If I have something to gain from the conversation, I may not be the right person. If love is the goal of my words, I need to make sure that me being the messenger won't get in the way of the message. That is so important. And just remember, this community that is now no longer a close-knit community, they are now scattered. The Greek word is they are sowed out. So this righteous life needs to be sowed out where they're at. But the other folks' lives, the other culture, the dominant culture now, is overtaking the kingdom culture. And so James is bringing this correction to them. And he's encouraging them, come on, brothers, let's, let's make sure the fruit is matching the root. Point four, check the relationship status. Ask yourself, what is the depth of our relationship? Some people have clearly given you permission for truth-telling. And some have not. If love is the goal of your words, then you need to invest in the relationship so that it can truly be a loving space. Just like I had to do with Pepe. I had to respond relationally. I'm going to just embrace my brother. Years later, we have an awesome friendship together. 
I didn't see that coming. He was going through the most difficult time during COVID. He had to be put down twice in a coma to deal with the infection in his lungs. And it was great to be there for my friend. And then fifthly, give thought to your words. If love is the goal of your words, then you need to take the time to pick words that will bring light and love. Always search. And I mentioned in my talk on chapter three, we must always make sure the orientation of our heart, where it's at. Is it disorientated, the, uh, the, the emotions in the heart? Or is it orientated from what God wants to the person? John Stott says, truth without love is too hard, and love without truth is too soft. In Ephesians 4.15 says, but speaking the truth in love, in all things, both our speech and our lives, expressing His truth, let us grow up in all things into Him. Let us mature, is James saying. Come now, boys and girls, let us mature in Christ. Finally, live the truth consistently and authentically. Dave and Liz Barnes brought us a lovely cheesecake the other day. And as I cut it up into various slices, sorry, uh, Alan, I didn't invite you around. Um, every slice I ate was, had the same um, ingredients in it, because I had a few slices at, at different spots. The one didn't taste like cheese, and the other like carrot, and the other, it was, there was a consistency in it. And I, when I looked at that, I thought that was so amazing, because that's what our lives ought to be. I can't be cheesecake here, and carrot cake at home, and out on the football pitch, what? I don't know. Pumpkin slice or something. No, there's going to be a consistency in that. Because we have the same ingredients that comes from the Father of light. He's poured his love, his truth, everything there. It's not a mixture of nonsense. It's of truth, righteousness, and grace. So let our lives lovingly express the truth in all things. Speaking truthfully, dealing honestly, living with integrity. Proverbs 10 verse 9 says, when you keep your promises, you walk securely. In other words, reliability leads to stability. That's a good one for, for, for a poster, eh? Reliability leads to stability. When people can take you at your word, your dependability produces tremendous confidence in their lives and yours. May that be our story. May that be our story. May what James is trying to do today, to chip away everything that is not of Christ, produce the beauty of His holiness, of His reputation in our lives. Truth, when spoken from a place of genuine love and concern, damages the kingdom of darkness and advances the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God. Revelation 12, verse 11. They have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. So because our faith uh, values integrity above all, we will speak the truth plainly, yes? There's a response, yes? Share the truth completely. Use the truth tactfully. Live the truth consistently. And you're wondering, where's my props today? You are the props. You are God's living props, hey? Allow Him to prop you up so that you display His reputation, His glory when you live from Monday to Monday, oh, yeah, Sunday to Sunday, whatever it is, yeah. I'd like to invite the band to come forward. And we're gonna do a commitment, David's commitment in Psalm 101, 
verse 1 to 7. I want you to read that quietly. It's your commitment. It's David's commitment. I'm going to read it. Where David says, this is my song of commitment to your love and your justice, O Lord. I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything degrading or demeaning. I will refuse to support anything shameful or corrupt. I will not be dishonest and I will have nothing to do with anything evil. I will silence anyone who spreads gossip and slander about others. And I will not tolerate anyone who looks down on others. Instead, I will keep my eyes on the godly in the land and they will be my heroes. Only those with integrity shall minister to me. I pause here. Pray for the leaders that serve in your life groups, your deacons, the elders. But let us pray for one another that we would lead our lives well, that others, by watching us, we would lead them to our wonderful Savior. And as I conclude, this will be a great logo. And then eventually, ultimately, I became the pastor in the football league. So I was leading many teams, and many of these teams were represented in different churches in our city. And we had this motto for our league, Coram Deo. I sat one day, and this thing just came up in my, something about Coram Deo. It's living in His presence, under His authority, and it's for His glory. I think it's slightly different there. Living one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. Amen.